Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast. I'm your host and registered dietitian, Mallory Page. This is a podcast where we sift through all the nutrition and wellness information out there and then I give you the no BS answer about if it's legit or not. Basically, you come to me wondering if something is diet culture because it seems like it is and I say, yeah. It seems like diet culture. And then I give you a rating and I give you the tips and I give you the information and I give you all the good stuff that you want to know about how to incorporate that or not incorporate that into your life. It's been so fun doing this podcast so far and I so appreciate the support from you guys. It means the world. If you want to support the show, sharing it on Instagram, with your friends, with your family, anyone is the absolute best way to do so. And I also love hearing your feedback on the pod and my DMs. If you don't follow me on Instagram or on the numerous other social media platforms, it is Mallory J. Page and it's linked in the show notes. The topic we're covering today is one that has been so highly requested, but also talked about. I hear about it all the time in my DMs. I dealt with this myself and I do find that this is a very complicated conversation and it is fitness trackers. Now, fitness trackers. What even is a fitness tracker? In the circumstance of this podcast episode, I'm kind of saying that this could be a Fitbit, it could be a pedometer, it could be the health app on your phone, it could be, you know, what? there's so many out there nowadays. There's the Garmin, there's the Apple Watch, there's so many. I know that Most of the time, the Apple Watch is the leading brand of at least smartwatch that is purchased. And also, they're the Fitbit. Those are the two main ones that we typically see. So when we talk about what is a fitness tracker, that is the realm that I am discussing. Now, before we dive into the nitty gritty, I just want to disclaim right here that I was a fitness tracker where... I wore pedometers at a young age. I looked at my health app. I looked at a Fitbit. I've worn an Apple Watch. I don't wear any of them anymore, but I do think it's important that you guys know that, and I've been in that position. Let's just dive into the nitty-gritty. I could disclaim the whole podcast because it's the nature of these type of topics, right? But that's not what we're here for. We're here for the real deal. Also, if you hear my cat scratching, it's because he's trying to get into the door because if you don't know from the first episode, I recorded my closet because (laughs) that's where it's the least loud and I can put down a blanket and get really comfortable and my animals will leave me alone, but he will come in and try to grab the door and open it, which he's never going to be able to do. (sighs) He never leaves me alone. He wants to be in here with me, but then he's so loud when he's in here. You know what I mean? So if you hear that, that's him. Now, for the background of fitness trackers. So fitness trackers as we know them today actually first surfaced in 1956 with the Manpo Kai. I'm probably not saying that right, but this translates to 10,000 steps meter. That's literally what it translates to. And it was invented by Dr. Yoshiro Hatano. Again, maybe didn't say that right. I tried to look it up. So... The funny thing about this is that the whole origin of fitness trackers really does come from this 10,000 steps and counting these 10,000 steps. So you would think that 10,000 steps is an incredibly well-researched number and that there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. 
Otis quit. Oh my gosh. I think I'm going to have to let him in. He will not leave me alone. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Sorry. We're back. He was literally being relentless. I wish you guys could see a video. It's so funny because so many podcasts that are really well produced, they have this whole video of them doing it in a studio. <laughs> Imagine it's just you and I in my closet. I'm in literal sweatpants and the cat is trying to come in. I have the microphone propped up on an Adidas shoebox that I have yet to get rid of and I'm sitting my back against the wall and then I have a blanket down on every inch of the closet. Anyways, back to what we were saying. You would think that this number is like tried and true because so much has been based off of this. And here's the funny thing about 10,000 steps, which maybe we should do a whole entire podcast just on this, but it literally is an arbitrary number. It was something that this doctor decided because he felt this was reflective of what constitutes an active lifestyle. He basically looked at average Japanese citizens' walking styles, and they were walking around like three to 5,000 steps a day, and he decided, oh, you know what? 10,000 steps would be really healthy for a good, healthy lifestyle. I Can we just first say that this is hilarious because 10,000 steps are still so prevalent in today's world and people feeling this pressure to hit them and there's not even research that is behind the entire basis of a fitness tracker. I just think that's really interesting. So obviously things have changed a lot from 1965 when this first fitness tracker was created. You know, it was more of a pedometer base. And I literally still remember my grandma. How old would I have been? I mean, this is ever since I could remember. I remember her obsessively wearing that pedometer. <laughs> like she lived and breathed by that thing. It is, isn't it kind of weird how we all really do have this kind of obsession with step numbers. I shouldn't say we all do because I don't have that anymore, but I especially feel like talking to parents, grandparents, there is this weird thing of, oh my gosh, well, I was walking around and I hit 20,000 steps yesterday. It's almost this sense of pride around it, which I don't think is a good or bad thing necessarily. We'll dive into that more, but I do think it's very fascinating. So now towards 2021, and obviously we're in 2022, but we're just looking at stats from 2021 since you guys know how years work and looking at these things. The fitness tracker industry revenue was approximately $41.94 billion in that year. And this was actually up from $36.34 billion in 2020 which I think is very, very interesting. So it is very much so a growing field still or a growing industry and not one that I see disappearing anytime soon. Otis, you cannot rub against the shoebox. That is my mic. Oh my gosh. All right. Otis is back out of the room. I just wanted to update you guys on the whole saga. I don't really feel like this is what most podcasts do is have this entire narrative going on in the background, but I feel like this is a more scientific one. So it's kind of fun to mix something up, something up in it, mix something in it. We're off to a good start. Okay. <laughs> what I was trying to finish off with is that one in five adults wear fitness trackers. And the most popular one nowadays is the Apple Watch. 
I would be interested to know, though, how many people that are wearing Apple Watches use the fitness tracking capabilities and also vice versa. How many people that wear Apple Watches only use them for the fitness tracker capabilities? I couldn't really find this stat anywhere, and I'm sure it would be a little bit hard to measure, but I do think that'd be really interesting to know and would kind of change some of this conversation as well. But the most important thing we want to talk about is the effectiveness of these, right? That's the first piece of it. There are not a ton of research studies on this. There are some, but not, not that, I just didn't find any of them super insightful or having really large numbers of people. And some of them had kind of weird variables or setups. And also they're mostly talking about weight loss which is a whole separate conversation that we're going to get into. So it's kind of hard in my mind to just think about effectiveness in this sense. So I'm going to talk about effectiveness in the sense of these research studies, but I'm also going to talk about it in terms of other areas that people are speaking to. Why I feel like this is important, though, is because of the fact that the entire reason fitness trackers were created was to help with a quote-unquote healthy lifestyle, which in most of these researchers' minds is just weight loss. And the biggest study that I found on this was a randomized clinical trial. It was at the University of Pittsburgh, and it had 471 adult participants. So it sounds like a lot of people, but really in a research study, that's not a lot of people. Think about how many people are wearing the fitness tracker, right? And then how many people they're studying. But they did this from October 20. 10 to October 2012, and then they completed their data collection in December of 2014. And mm, I'm cringing at what they did, okay? I am cringing at it, but it's fine. So they basically placed participants on a low-calorie diet. They didn't say how many calories. I hope it wasn't insane, but you never know with these type of research studies. You know, they prescribed increased physical activity. They had group counseling sessions. And then at six months, they added in telephone counseling sessions, you know, text messages, all that stuff. And one of the groups got a wearable device. Now, what I think is interesting about this is that they measured the outcome of weight over 24 months at six months in intervals. And basically, they wanted to see if there would be a different outcome in body composition, fitness, physical activity between the two groups, the one that was wearing the watch and the one or the one that was wearing the wearable and the one that wasn't. And what they found is that the fitness tracker did not add any advantage. It actually was slightly negative for that group, which I don't think that is actually, it wasn't significant, but basically they found no difference at all between the groups. So I thought that was very, very interesting. They did a similar study to this, which I do want to mention. I will have all my studies that I'm talking about linked in the show notes so that you can look at them if you would like. But they did a similar study to this as well um, with weight loss, and they tried to use activity trackers, and they found that the only time that they could even slightly be helpful was in a weight loss program for middle age and older adults. So I thought that was fascinating because younger adults did not benefit from the technology. And the last study that I want to talk about is that there was this study, which I, the setup of this study is a mess, guys. I'm not going to lie. I'm not trying to hate on these people, but there were 54 students. There was no control group, which is kind of, mm, you know, you really should always have a control group. I feel like this is science class 101. 
And essentially they gave them a step tracker or they, I mean, a fitness tracker. And there was no difference at all in the way in which the young adults went about their activity levels. They were basically trying to see if this helped them with increased physical activity, not weight loss. And it didn't. So with all of this, I think it's very interesting that the reason why so many trainers, doctors, even just generalized messaging and marketing around fitness trackers is there is because it says that it will help you with all of these things that they have done studies about. Weight loss, physical activity, being more mindful, even quote-unquote motivation, which is kind of that term that goes along with all of those. And yet there is no research out there that it actually does any of those things. Again, we're not talking about, in my mind, weight loss is not effectiveness, but I just want to say this in the traditional sense of why people are even selling these things and show that there's not even strong backing to this. So this brings me to the question then, does the small potential, the chance for potential benefit really outweigh the potential negatives or even cost, right? And also, is that benefit even something that people should be going for in the first place? So let's just go on to this opposite side of the negative studies around this. Because with these effectiveness studies, there's also been studies on if fitness trackers actually have a negative effect on people's mental health. So there was actually a recent study from the University of Copenhagen that looked at potential negative effects of fitness trackers on people's mental health. We love that. Shout out University of Copenhagen. It's always the people that are not in the U.S. making the differences. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. That's not true. I do just find that a lot of the time research like this, it's looking at mental health. It seems like it's not always in the U.S., but that's a tangent. Don't get mad at me. And they concluded that the activity data from wearable devices can result in increased levels of uncertainty, fear, and anxiety, and similarly led to obsessive and dependent behaviors. They especially found this to be true in heart patients. So they are basically putting these wearable tracking devices on heart patients. And as you can imagine, right, what are they trying to sell? They're trying to sell weight loss. They're trying to sell physical activity. They're trying to make people healthier, quote unquote, unquote. And yet, next thing you know, this was actually increasing the anxiety and the stress for these people, and it wasn't helping them with their disease management at all because the goals that they were setting were completely unrealistic. They were overcome by feelings of guilt and shame when they were unable to reach targets. And outside of the clinical setting, they didn't have the ability to actually comprehend the numerical data that was provided by the fitness trackers. And so many wearers actually incorrectly, which wears, they mean people that are wearing these trackers, interpret the data, and this results in unnecessary concern as well. So, for example, they think that a link in faster heart rate one day may lead to increased risk of heart attack, and this created anxiety and worry about the fear of their health deteriorating. I feel like there's so much that I could say about this specific study. And there were other studies out there, but I really liked this one. And as you can imagine, there weren't as many studies about mental health because mental health isn't as measurable, right? We always 
researchers love to look at weight loss because weight loss is a specific number. It can be put in graphs. It can be measured over time. Mental health is not that specific. But this study, I think, is so important because not only is there anxiety for anyone, right? When they're looking at these numbers, I shouldn't say anyone. Not only was there anxiety for these people that were wearing the watches, they were also concerned and confused about what they were even seeing. And it was creating these feelings of guilt. And yet, we have yet to mention the fact that many times the data on these fitness trackers is not even accurate. It's not even accurate. There was a study that looked at this and they said that only a third to a half of the time, no, a third, the Mallory are switching around the numbers, one third to one half of the time, the, there is actually incorrect data being reported by the tracker. So either someone is taking more steps than they are actually getting recorded, they're taking less steps, the calories are really off, or the even the heart rate and stuff can be because you're measuring it on your wrist, which is not the most accurate place to measure. And the fact that we're creating these numbers too, you know, the 10,000 steps, these calorie goals that the Apple Watch or whatever, where you're, or whatever fitness tracker you're using sets without any real idea of who you are, where you're at in your health, and then just having those there as this standard I find this to be so wild because we know that we have to specify care to anyone or specify a a plan, and yet we're trusting these little wearable devices on our wrists to tell us exactly what we should be doing without any real knowledge of what our lifestyle is like, the factors that are going into it, what our stress level is like, our time, everything. When you really think about that, it's kind of wild. And just to give a personal story, I was 100% this person. I want to talk about the effects of the Apple Watch even a little bit more after this, but I was that person that lived, breathed, died by the numbers on my watch. And if I remember right, I was wearing an Apple Watch at the time. All you had to do to get your numbers was type in I think it was your height, your weight, and maybe your current activity level. I can't remember. I should have looked at it. And then they just spit out these random numbers. And then next thing you know, even once you start hitting the numbers, they start adding on to what your goals should be, right? Like, what? How did that get decided, right? Like, who said that this is what makes sense and that that's how you should be going about it? Yeah, I just think it's kind of wild. And In my experience, which I'm going to say this is going to be biased, right? Because the people I work with are mainly clients struggling with disordered eating or exercise. And, you know, you can kind of err on the side that fitness trackers are typically more harmful than helpful in this case. But I just have found that they can be so detrimental to mental and physical health if you are not so careful. Let me explain why I think this. Number one, it they take away from you listening to your body, and instead of listening to how you feel, you are focusing on arbitrary numbers that aren't even backed by science, as I was saying. 
people are even basing their quote-unquote calories in, calories out, which, yes, we need to do a whole podcast episode on that for sure, but when these numbers aren't even correct, they only have a third to a half, or no, they're a third to a half inaccurate. And yet we're basing everything we eat, how we move, how we live on these numbers. Second, they can really bring out obsessive tendencies, right? So the International OCD Foundation actually notes that in 2004, which yes, this was older. Can you believe that 2000, can you believe that 2004 was so long ago? It really, it makes me feel old. But 64% of people with EDs were also diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, and 41% of those people were on the OCD spectrum. That's a lot of people. When you consider the fact that this is only the people that are actually diagnosed, it's pretty insane because so many people aren't even diagnosed with EDs or disordered eating issues, let alone, you know, OCD or anxiety. So how many people do we really think are actually being affected by this type of stuff? I would imagine this number is incredibly high. And the numbers or the habits that I've seen come out of the fitness tracker relationship are wild. It's really sad to see how obsessive people can get. I don't want to go in the specific go into the specific tendencies that people can get into because I feel like that could be quite triggering, but the links that people will go to to hit these numbers are so sad and I don't even think people can imagine how deep and dark this relationship can go. And again, I'm not saying that this is everyone, 100% not everyone, but for the people that are struggling with it, it's it's really tough. I actually ran a challenge where I suggested people took off their Apple Watches one time on my Instagram, and I actually do this in every single Live Unrestricted program too, which ugh, I love this week in Live Unrestricted. It's the best. If you don't know Live Unrestricted, I have a little bit about it in the show notes and a link to apply to the next round of the program. But honestly, when people took it off, the amount that they spoke to decreased anxiety, decreased obsessive tendencies, negative self-talk, it was wild. And that's the last thing is I just do find that a lot of people wearing these fitness watches are the ones that don't need to be wearing them. They use it to push themselves to a detrimental standard that isn't necessarily aligned with what makes their body feel best. And I know Apple Watches even run these crazy challenges. I got a lot of these where it would say something like, push yourself to work out every single day for a month and awarding your move strengths and continually pushing up that calorie and step goal like I was saying. And I just find that it's negative. You know, it's negative to have an app on your or a wearable that is sending you these type of messages. Also, I did just burp. I'm sorry. Again, I could edit it out or I could just be real with you guys and keep that ish in. (coughs) Cough. Okay. There is actually some research that does talk about the fitness tracker and possible correlation, not causation to disordered eating. I'll link it down below. It kind of says everything that we've talked about here, but Of course, there's no specific research that points this out. I got a lot of responses to this and very differing opinions on both sides. So we have the side where people spoke to the positive. Great natural motivation to do something every single day. I don't think they're inherently bad. It just depends on your 
relationship with them. The Apple Watch is a gift, and I think it's great. You know, basically, oh, I only wear them on runs or distance because I feel like it's helpful for me to see it. I love my Fitbit because I have a sedentary job, and it makes sure that I'm getting enough movement in the day, and I don't have the issue of obsessing over cows. So a lot of people that did speak to the positive of it. Now, I feel like there's some interesting in between because there were some people that said good for knowledge about calories and food, but shouldn't be used long term. So I think that's interesting that they spoke to kind of the the positive, but I guess to me it I think it's interesting if that is positive. Same thing with someone else. Kelsey said, I think for people just starting out with health and fitness, they can be a great tool. So productivity as well, people said. Anyways, lots of different opinions on that. But there was the complete opposite as well. Basically, people saying that it ruined their life and it created an addiction or it created their eating disorder, ruined their relationship with exercise. They had to take it off because they were so obsessed with counting calories, saying that it's addicting, unhealthy, and realistic, that they will never, ever put one on, that it's restrictive and taking mine off has healed my relationship with exercise, triggering, fed my obsessive movement. So there's the whole opposite side of that as well that was really strong. And I do find that there are a lot of women that have resonated more with the obsessive tendencies of it. And that's just my observation. That's definitely not a fact. I do think it's interesting. And at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is to ask yourself these questions and use these tips. So let's dive into that. Number one, ask yourself, why do I feel like I need a fitness tracker? This is interesting to me because I think this would take out so many of the challenges that people experience when they're wearing one, which, you know, if you have a negative disordered voice in your head, it's going to be a lot harder to look at this objectively, but in an ideal world, we'd be able to. You know, are you looking at a fitness tracker even though you're knowing you're struggling with disordered tendencies or to count every single calorie or to make sure you never miss a day of working out? It's probably not great. If you're looking at a fitness tracker because you want it to help to remind you to stand up during a sedentary job and you don't feel like you have a very obsessive personality, maybe it's a good fit for you. Then again, interesting with all the research, is it actually helpful for helping increase physical activity, potentially weight loss, the jury is kind of out based off research. And I just want to disclaim because I didn't fully talk about it. I am not a proponent of weight loss when it's not something that is meant for your body. And I am a haze advocate, health at every single size. We don't really have time to get into that full conversation, but I just wanted to mention it because I'm sure a lot of people here listening to this, they may want a fitness tracker because of weight loss. So if that's you, of course, there's a lot of things to evaluate in the sense of why do you want that weight loss and all of those questions, but it's also interesting to think, does this even help? Is it even worth spending the freaking hundreds, sometimes couple hundred dollars for this fitness tracker? Or is it worth looking into other things? Second, When I wear a fitness tracker, does it make me feel better or worse? 
If you want to test this, take a week without wearing it and see how you feel. Even if you feel like a week is too much, take a day. Take a half a day. Take a morning. Try it out. Let me know how you feel. It will give you a lot of answers. Three, if you really want to use it, remove the health app from your phone and also remove the Apple Health or the rings from your watch. I don't know if you can do this on Fitbit or other ones, but I know on your Apple Watch, you can remove the ring section. I don't think you can remove it from the whole watch, but if you're just looking for those functionalities of a smartwatch without the fitness tracker, I do think that's a really good thing. Or if you just don't want to feel as obsessive about it and you feel like what makes it obsessive for you is just seeing it all the time or getting notifications, definitely keep that in mind, which leads me into my last point, which is number four. Turn off unnecessary updates and challenges. If you don't want to be told every single time to stand and you're not as far along in your move ring when it's freaking 6 a.m., you're like, yeah, okay, I just woke up, then I would turn it off and maybe that helps for you. Now, the question that we're answering in this podcast, though, is how entrenched is the Apple Watch or the fitness tracker in diet culture? And To me, this is a really tough one because all the way back to its origin, in some ways, I do feel like it was a little bit diet culture-y, right? Because he was kind of trying to set this standard for physical activity and it was kind of randomly chosen, which does give off major diet culture vibes, you know, (laughs) because it's not research and he just kind of picked this number. And even when we were looking at those studies, almost all of them were fixating on weight loss, which... I think in itself is very unhealthy and it really pushes that diet culture narrative of you need to look this certain way, you need to lose weight to be this way. Not to mention it was probably using BMI in most of those. I know it was in at least two of them, which is a faulty system in itself. So mm, I don't love that. Do I feel like step counting fitness trackers really are rooted in diet culture and created by them, though, in every sense, and that's why people use them? I don't know. I don't know if it's really the basis of it. If you listen to the last episode about clean eating, it feels different to me for some reason, and this is coming from someone that was so obsessive about it. But I do find that this one really goes back to how you feel about it. Because I really do think there are a lot of people that don't have the same negative relationship to it. Now, with my relationship with body image and exercise and food, I do think I could put on an Apple Watch if I wanted to and not feel the pressure to close those rings and maybe just use it as an awareness of, oh, you know what? I haven't stood literally one time today, which I'm guilty of working at home and working for myself. Do I feel like I need to do that? No, I don't really feel like I need to do that. But I think that there are more people like that than not, and it's not fair to say they're all negative, and it's also not fair to say they're all positive. It does go back to those questions to ask for yourself. So the rank is going to totally depend on the person, but I would say overall, maybe it's a 4.5, depending on how you're using it and how you look at it. I don't know what people are going to think about this. Maybe that's too low. Tell me what you would rate it. But that's what I came away with after doing all this research, looking into it, talking with people, talking with you guys. So I don't know. I'm curious to hear your your response to this and how you would rate it. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Seems Like Diet Culture pod today. I always love having you here. And if this episode kind of made you realize that your relationship with your watch may not be as healthy, first, I recommend doing that week off. Second, if you notice that it's really affecting your relationship with food or your body or other habits, I highly suggest getting some support for that. If you're not aware, I have a group coaching program called Live Unrestricted. That would be so helpful for these exact things because we help you to develop a better relationship with movement and with your body and food, all of the good things. I won't go on and on, but you can find more at the link in the show notes. And as I said earlier, if you want to follow me outside the pod, it is Mallory J. Page and also linked in the show notes. Definitely hit me up and tell me which, why did I say hit me up? Again, not one of those sayings that people are still saying, right? Or maybe just like men that, anyways, definitely let me know if there are any specific things that you want to see on the pod. And I just cannot wait to chat with you next week. See you soon.